So we're starting a new series today. We're walking through what many scholars call the upper room discourse. And it's this, this portion of scripture where Jesus has turned from his public ministry to the masses, his public ministry to the world, and he's turned toward his disciples. And he says, these are my final hours with you. And what I want to impart with you will be very beneficial for the mission that is ahead of you. And so that's where we find ourselves. Over this meal, over this table, Jesus imparting wisdom, words of life to his disciples. You know, when I was an upperclassman in high school, it came time for me to get my first job, to go out into the workforce. I sought some wisdom on this. said, okay, where where should I work? I asked my mentor this question. What kind of job should I be looking for? He told me some profound wisdom. Here's what he said. He said, you need three types of jobs before you enter into the workforce. You need experience in three types of things. Manufacturing or a factory. You need to know what that's like. You need to know the toil of working in a factory, but also the benefit of getting to see what you accomplish at the end of the day. You need to work in the restaurant industry or the food industry, the hospitality industry. You need to know how to serve people. And he said also you need to work in retail because you need to know what that's like as well. I took all of his words and I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And I actually had a job in each of those before the age of 20. Those of you who know me know that I've had 27 different jobs, so I've had a lot of different experiences in work. But what I learned in the hospitality industry, I wanted to particularly share with you this morning because it ties in beautifully with where I think the Lord is leading us this morning. I began to wait tables at several different fine establishments. Every day I would come into work with my servant's towel and I would come and I would serve people. I would do my best to serve them well. And what I realized about myself were three things during this time. One was this, I am very selfish. That's the first thing that serving tables taught me. And it taught me that because I was typically concerned with only meeting my own agenda, meeting my own needs. I had a quota that I needed to make for tips, and I didn't care what it took to do it. I was going to make it happen. I was very selfish. It also taught me this, I'm very judgmental. Whenever you're working in the restaurant industry, you have a propensity to kind of judge a book by its cover when they walk into the restaurant. Like, oh, I'll take that table or, no, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I want to take that group of teenagers right there. They're probably not going to tip me real well. And so I, I began to get very judgmental and harsh in my experience in hospitality. And then here's the, here's the beautiful thing that God taught me about serving tables. It was this. God loves me more than I love myself. You know, see what would happen every single day is God would show me every day that I work, he would surprise me every day with the people that were generous and the people, you know, that stood me up and the disappointment that I got. And I, I was trying to love myself through the work that I was doing and trying to make a name for myself and be able to, you know, have the most sales and, and, and make the most money. But God showed me that he loved me more than I love myself. You see, the issue was this. I wanted to serve myself to kind of save myself and make a name for myself. But Jesus says this, you've been saved to serve. The posture that I began to take later in my career as a server was one of this. Each and every person that would walk into that door, I would, it was as if I'm serving Jesus. It doesn't matter what they give me, but because I am a Christian and, and I happen to be in this industry, I serve them as they are Jesus. So you begin to see people as made in the image of God as opposed to someone that can give you something that you need. And that changes everything about your life. So here's the big idea of where we're going today in John chapter 13. The world says you have to serve yourself to save yourself. But Jesus says the only way you'll be saved is if I serve you. And then you'll show the world my love by serving them. So let's read our text for today. Read John chapter 13, 
verses 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I ask that you would press this word through our minds, down into our hearts, and out into our hands. Father, your word says that your disciples will be known by the fruit that they bear. And God, I pray that you would do something in us today through this word, that, 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 that you wouldn't leave us as we are. Father, you would change the way that we see you, change the way that we see the world, and ultimately draw more people into fellowship with you and us as well into that upward call. Father, we just pray that you do a mighty work through your word, that you'd apply it by your spirit this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me give you a little context about John 13 to 17. What's going on in the book of John? What's going on in the life of Jesus? All these things will be helpful in us understanding what's going on here. As I said earlier, Jesus's public ministry had come to a conclusion. This is kind of a turning point. And so Jesus, a lot of times I think that Jesus kind of messed it up, right? Because Jesus could have spent his last week sharing the gospel more with the world, right? But instead, he kind of sees through this a facade of, of getting the masses, and he focuses on drilling down with his disciples with his last hours. And he does so over something very familiar to them as young Jewish men, the Passover feast. So what is the Passover meal? Well, the Passover meal was part of the Passover feast, this, this big celebration, one of three that, that every family would make their journey into Jerusalem to celebrate. And the meal was kind of the consummation of the feast. And, and what they celebrated was the fact that they had been delivered out of bondage to the Egyptians. You can read about this in Exodus chapter 12. And so there were some parts of the feast. One part was this. You had to go and you had to slay a perfect lamb. And you had to take that lamb and you had to, you had to roast it until it was cooked all the way through. And that was kind of the centerpiece of the meal. And then you would take some of the blood from the lamb 
uh, in Exodus 12 anyway, and they would put it on the lintel of their door, around their doorpost. And the reason why they would do that is because this, was, this is where the tenth and final plague would, would come, where if, if you know, if you know uh, kind of the history of the plagues, this is the one where, where the Pharaoh finally said, get out of Egypt. Because uh, every door, every house that didn't have blood over the lintel, the firstborn child was dead, found dead the next morning. And so the word Passover comes from this idea that, that God had passed over the sins of the Israelites because of the blood that was the perfect blood that was slain for them. And this was an animal. And so, so we have this feast going on. They had, they had made preparations, as we read in John 13, for this feast. So they had went and got the lamb. They had slain it. Uh, they were probably cooking it, getting it ready in the upper room that they had rented. Because you got to think, Israel like quadruples. I'm sorry, Jerusalem like quadruples when everybody kind of comes into town. And so people are having to rent rooms and stay with relatives and all kinds of stuff that don't live in Jerusalem. So they come in for this feast. They rented this room. Uh, and they're ready for the feast. They're ready for it. And so that's where we pick up with John chapter 13, something that would have been very ordinary to them, but something that Jesus kind of twists and makes it uh, unbelievably memorable to these disciples. So our first point is this. Jesus has served us to save us, John 13, 1 through 11. So, so what is the reality for these disciples that are sitting here in this upper room? Well, it's that they are narcissistic and egotistical just like you and I. Uh, nar- narcissism isn't a 21st century thing. You know, Facebook didn't create narcissism. It just revealed what was already there, right? So this was already there in the upper room. You can read in a parallel account. Uh, I think it's in the book of Luke, Luke 22, uh, that there's a dispute that breaks out in this supper, okay? And what's going on is there are a couple of the disciples, and they're like, they're arguing over who is the greatest. They're saying, no, 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 I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. Jesus is like, what are you guys doing? You're missing the entire point of what we're doing here. This is not a new thing, because since the fall, we think that our only salvation is self-salvation. And so we do everything that we can to save ourselves. Everything is kind of threaded with this narcissistic, egotistical thing, unless Jesus has redeemed you and kind of set you on, on the foundation of his love. Then you can have a different posture toward the world and those around you. So the, the disciples assumed that the way to salvation was becoming great. Jesus says something completely different to Peter. What does he say? Peter, unless I wash you, you can have no part with me. So Jesus, here's what he does. I want you to picture this table. They're all kind of kneeling down. This is, it's a low table. They're all kneeling down kind of on their arm, kind of reclined at the table. There's 13 of them around the table. There's a lamb in the middle. They're ready to have the Passover feast. Here's essentially what Jesus does with John 13. He basically does this. He takes the lamb and he sets it aside and he gets up on the table. Metaphorically speaking, this is what Jesus is doing in John chapter 13. He's painting this picture of the gospel by washing his disciples' feet. Let's read John chapter 10, verses 17 to 18. It'll, uh, you'll kind of get the picture that I'm trying to paint here. John 10, 17 and 18 says this. For this reason, the Father loves me. This is Jesus speaking. Because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So we get this picture. There's a, there's a meal that's happening. But for some reason, the disciples' feet haven't been washed yet. Every, 
You know, this is why he says to Peter, Peter, you know, if you're, if you're clean, only your feet need to be washed, not your whole body. And so there's a picture that he's painting there we'll get to in a second. But what he's saying here is that this meal means more than just a meal. He's making this meal that would have been very common to them. It's like, it's like nightly dinner at your house, something that would have been very common to the disciples. And he's making it real. He's showing them that he's the Messiah in this meal. And so what we see is a picture of Jesus getting up in the middle of the meal. It would have been a very odd time to wash the disciples' feet. Gets up in the middle of the meal, begins to, to, to take off his clothes into where he has the clothing of a slave, of a servant. He picks up his servant's towel, and he breaks in the middle of the meal. He says, i got to wash your feet. So he gets down, he takes the, the, the posture of a servant, he gets down on his knees, washes his disciples' feet, and then he gets back up at the table. So are you seeing the theme of death, burial, resurrection here? Jesus is with the Father, he's at the table with the disciples, he goes down, he kneels, he washes the disciples' feet, that would have symbolized the cross and the grave, and then Jesus gets back up to the table, he's painting this picture of the gospel to them. This is the first thing that he does in the washing of his disciples' feet here in John 13. So that's kind of the, the framework that I want you to see this passage through as we delve into it a little bit deeper. So kind of got four things that Jesus does here. Uh, and, then, and then he kind of gives us four things to do after that as well. Uh, the first one is this. There's a realization. There's a realization of his identity being wrapped up in the Father. We see this in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It says his hour had come and that he knew that he was going back to the Father. But he knew that he had work to do before he could go back to the Father. He knew that the table that he and his Father shared together, the provision that he and his Father shared together, that the Father would need to make a bigger table because he was going to go and redeem all of Israel's lost sons. That's the work that he had to do. But you see even in this that the backdrop, you find it interesting that, that Jesus mentions everything that's kind of going on with Judas in the Scripture. So there's this kind of backdrop of the enemy working in the midst of Jesus and his salvation toward his disciples. There's this backdrop. It reminds us of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where we see that, that right after sin enters the world, there's this, there's this gospel seed, this promise that's kind of inserted into Genesis 3.15 that gives us hope, where, where the, the writer says that, that, um, that even though the enemy will strike your heel, there will be one that will come and crush his head. See, there's always... There's always evil in the midst of the goodness of God doing great work through us. There's, there's, there's always kind of this backdrop that sin is still uh, evident and, and still working in the world. And so we're in, this, we're in the tension of the already and the not yet. The Jesus has come and Jesus will come and we're kind of in the middle of that. We've been given his spirit and God is doing work. We see that even at the upper room, at the, at the table right here. Jesus having loved his own loved them to the end. What does it mean that Jesus loved them to the end? Jesus loved them to perfection. Like he didn't give up on them. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, well, I'm going to love you guys until we get to the upper table, then the, the, the upper room at the, at the table, and then from here it's all up to you guys. No, he's, there's a completeness to the love of God. So I want you to hear this, church. As Christians, there's a completeness to the love of God. The, as as uh, Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. This is what the love of God does when it comes on a person. Is it carries you through all of the things in life. It carries, it carries Peter through his denial of Jesus. It, it, it carries us through all of those times that we, that we think God would have given up on us. It's, there's a completeness to the love 
of God. Jesus' love for his disciples is a long love. It's a, it's, a not, it's a never giving up love for his disciples. And the love of God in, in healing his people and washing and cleansing them that Jesus is painting this picture of right now uh, is, is a very difficult love. I mean, the love of God that was represented in him going to the masses in the, in the public places and healing people, that's an easy love compared to the cross that he was turning toward now. That's a more difficult love because it's an unpopular love. And even, even his disciples, they don't understand. Why does he have to go to the cross? Why can't he just stay with us? It's because you don't understand the magnitude of your sin. They didn't understand how dirty they were, how much they needed the blood of Jesus to cleanse them. So knowing all of this, knowing that Judas is going to betray him, Peter's going to deny him, everybody's going to be confused, they're going to be hiding in a room. We can read that in John chapter 20. They're hiding because they're so scared after Jesus goes to the cross. He knows all of this, and he gets up from the table. He comes down out of fellowship with the Father and incarnates into the world. He gets up from the table knowing all of these things about, knowing everything about your life. He gets up from the table. And what does he do when he gets up from the table? He incarnates. He takes off his clothes. He, 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 he trims down to a servant, to a slave, and he picks up the towel. And he incarnates into our story. So we see this in John 13, 4, the second point, incarnation. John 13, 4, he rose from supper he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. So, as I said earlier, there was some kind of oversight in the upper room. We're not really sure what happened. What, what typically would have happened when you were coming in for the Passover feast is there would have been a slave. There would have been a servant at the door. Everybody would be clean. They would have, they would have bathed. Jesus and his disciples were in Bethany the week before. We read that in the scriptures. So, they would have, they would have showered there. They would have been clean, but they would have had to make the trek to Jerusalem. So a few miles away, uh, they would have gotten dirty. Uh, they would have gotten filthy on their feet. And so typically what would happen is they come in for the upper room is their feet would be washed by someone and they would go in and they would have the feast. Well, somehow there was this oversight. They're coming in with dirty feet. Somebody's got to do something about the dirty feet because they're not worthy to have the supper unless they're clean. They're not ceremonially clean. They can't do this. So what does Jesus do? Jesus is at the head of the table. He's the one that's putting on the meal. He's at the head of the table. And he says, whoa, whoa, i got to handle this. And he begins to paint this picture of what he's going to do. He begins to wash their feet. He incarnates into the story. He moves into your neighborhood. He comes into our lives, knowing very well everything that will happen. So Jesus does this great work. And, and you know, for Peter, there's a little bit of confusion, Right? He's like, Jesus, you know, don't wash me, Jesus. What are you thinking? You're at the head of the table. See, what does Peter see? The only thing Peter sees is dirty feet. Jesus knows that there's more than dirty feet at hand, right? That there's this, this factor of a dirty heart that has to be cleansed. And Jesus decides to do something about that. So he, be, he kneels down and begins to wash their feet. So we'll move on to the next section, service here. And, you know, I'm not an acronym guy, but God just kind of handed me this this week, so I hope it's memorable. The acronym is RISE, so there you go. So I feel, feel like I'm in seminary again, writing acronyms and stuff. So Anyway, so John 13, uh, 5 through 11, this is actually the account where Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet, and there's this interchange between Peter and Jesus that, that teaches us a lot about what is true in salvation. This isn't just like Peter being Peter. Jesus is teaching us something about what it means to be uh, one of his children. 
Uh, I was at a youth retreat several years ago. I was a youth pastor before this. What, what? Youth pastor. Another former youth pastor in the house over here. Yeah, so it's good. Youth, youth work is fun. It's fun. And so at a retreat that we went to, uh, you know, we, uh, I forget what the theme was, but for some reason we decided it was going to be good to do a foot washing this night because there's nothing more awkward than doing a foot washing with someone on the stage, right? Uh, so we decided to do this foot washing, and uh, my friend Pat is one of the leaders. Uh, Pat is an awesome guy. He's, he's actually been to worship with us here at this church. And, and, and I tell Pat, like, in the middle, of, so they're, they're playing music, and I'm getting ready to come up and say, oh, Pat, by the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you up and I'm going to wash your feet on the stage. I'm going to use you kind of as, as an example paint this picture for the students and and all of a sudden he goes into panic mode he's like what, what, what do you mean I mean you wash my but, but Ryan my feet are dirty I've got this infected toe and I've got like all this you know I got this lint in my you know my toenail and everybody's gonna see it and all of a sudden he realizes what he's doing he's like this is exactly why you need to wash my feet right I mean because I think that I don't need my feet to be washed that I'm ashamed of what my feet look like this is exactly why you need to wash my feet. Well, this is what Jesus is doing right now. Peter, Peter doesn't understand what's going on. Peter sees dirty feet. He doesn't understand the complete picture. And so he goes, typical Peter swings to the opposite end of the spectrum, right? He's like, okay. He wouldn't let Jesus wash his feet. And now he's like, Jesus, you've got to wash my whole body. And then what does Jesus say back to Peter? He says this right here. Um, he says, never wash my feet, verse 8. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus also or said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. What is he saying to Peter right here? It's more than just a physical, like, hey, Peter, your feet don't need to be, you know, physically your feet only need to be physically clean. There's a spiritual aspect. The work of Jesus that he will accomplish on the cross, the blood that he will shed, you know, how he's become the Passover lamb. He's jumped on the table and said, hey, here's what I'm going to do for you guys. The work that he does is a work that's, that's done. It's not a work that we have to keep doing because he said it's finished and he rose from the dead, sealing the deal for us. So when we trust in the work of Jesus, when we trust in the sacrifice, the atonement that he's made for our sin, it is finished. So what, how does this spiritually relate to our feet being washed? I think it relates to us just living a life of repentance. I mean, we, we constantly have to turn, even though we've been forgiven, we constantly have to turn to him and say, Jesus, can you wash my feet today? I've gotten, I've gotten dirty in the world, Jesus. I, can you wash my feet today? That's, that's what it looks like for us to walk in repentance and turn to Jesus. And, and for some of us, all we see is dirty feet too. I think I don't really need that Jesus guy. I mean, 2,000 years ago, I mean, that work that he did, it's not really, it's not really effective for me today. And, and if you're in that boat when you say, man, I don't really need the blood of Jesus. I mean, like I can kind of tack him onto my life, but I don't really need him to kind of sit front and center on my heart. I would say all you see is dirty feet. I don't mean that in a, in a negative kind of way, but I'm just saying that's just kind of what it is because we need to be cleansed. All of us needs to be cleansed by the work of Jesus. And this is the picture that Jesus is painting with his disciples. Jesus picks up the towel. You know what he's going to do the next day? He's going to pick up the cross. So once again, he's going to resemble this posture of coming down from heaven into the earth, taking on the form of a servant, entering into our story and kneeling down with that cross 
in order to wash our feet and to cleanse us once and for all. Lastly, exaltation. So after Jesus serves his disciples and, and kind of blows their minds, what's he do? He, he goes back to the table. He resumes himself as the, as, the, as, the, as the person of honor at the table. So we see this kind of this death, burial, resurrection kind of metaphor kind of painted there that we saw in John chapter 10. So Jesus rises from the table. <clears throat> He's been finding favor with the Father from all eternity. And he enters into the story, incar- incarnates himself, and picks up the towel. He does the work of cleansing from sin and washes us clean. And then he resumes his place at the table. It's interesting to look at this and to think about Philippians chapter 2. So I want to I I put these two side by side with you. Because this is a theme of Jesus' life. The Jews wanted him to exalt himself. To prove yourself, Jesus. Show them who you really are. Jesus said, if I do that, none of you will be saved. I've got to come as a servant. I've got to get on my knees. I've got to take this towel. I've got to take this cross. But then I'll come back again after I go to the Father for a while. I'll come back again, and I'll come as you expected. Look at this, look at this parallel of how Jesus operates. And we've already read John 13, so look at Philippians 2 here. So the realization of, of, of divinity of Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't, he didn't take advantage of that because it would do no good for us. And then we see in his incarnation, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Then we see in his service of salvation and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then we see his exaltation. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus Every knee is going to bow, not just the knee of Jesus washing those disciples' feet. Every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the work that Jesus came to do. And he sets up the supper by showing them the work that has to be done. And this is why he says, hey, you're not going to understand it, but just trust me. You're not going to understand why you've got to come clean with your sin. But you just got to trust me that you need to be cleansed. You need this work. And so what does this mean for us? This means that you and I have been saved to serve, that we are not our own, that we've been bought with a price, and God wants glory from our lives. And that, that that glory will serve the world around us to draw them into relationship with him. This is, this is how God has designed the kingdom to advance and in the tension of this already and not yet. It's through the way that we love one another, as he says in book of John. See the way that we love one another, that they'll know you belong to me. So after Jesus exemplifies this gospel, he invites us to join him in this mission of serving others, seeing them made in the image of God. He says things like this, now you you ought to wash one another's feet just as I've washed your feet. He says, a servant is no greater than his master. So if you're trying to think like, hey, I'm above this, I'm above foot washing, the dirtiest thing in the world. I'm above this. He said, you have no understanding of who I am. None of you are above this. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do you hear that promise? 
If you know these things, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do these things. So what's this look like for us? Our identity as Christians is now to pick up the towel and to become a people of the towel. To become a people that are a foot-washing people, not because other people deserve it, but because Jesus first washed us and first cleansed us. And so we're free to love people, seeing them made in the image of God, that they have innate value, not because they give us anything, but because they're made in the image of God. And so we take up the towel. And we're never more like Jesus than when we take up this towel. So let's just kind of walk through those, those kind of four steps of, of, of what Jesus did and see what that kind of looks like for us. There's this realization piece, right, where we realize that the work of grace in our lives uh, is, is a mysterious and a wonderful thing that solidifies our identity and our relationship with God. So we'll never be foot washers unless we first realize that King Jesus has washed our feet. So if we think we don't need Jesus to wash us, we think that, that that's really not necessary, that I'm not really that bad of a person, then we'll never be able to wash other people's feet with those pure motives. Because we've got to see ourselves first in need of being cleansed. So there's this realization piece that God has for us. So we give up our, we, in the incarnation piece, here's what we do. We give up our position at the table. Like you and I are sons and daughters of God. We, we lay down our rights on the side and we serve people who don't deserve it. Because Jesus has served us and we don't deserve it. And so we begin to serve just like Jesus did. Regardless of their behavior, regardless of their values, regardless of how they're going to treat you. We serve Jesus. And God gets glory in it, regardless of how they respond. But God says, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to draw people to myself when you behave that way. When you take that posture, I'm going to draw people to myself. So whether you're working in sales or you work in IT or you're a teacher or you're a nurse or you're a doctor or you're a lawyer, you serve people, you see them as made in the image of God, you trust that the Father is going to take care of you and you don't have to take care of yourself. And watch what God does. Watch what he does. Serve your children even when they're being ridiculously terrible. You serve your children. Watch what God does in their heart. Watch what he does. We incarnate into the story. I love what Martin Luther says about this. He says, you know, God, it's true that God doesn't need your good works. But guess what? Your neighbor does. Your neighbor needs your good work. Because this is the way that the gospel advances. What if we lived a life so filled with the Spirit of God where we made the person of Jesus, the real person of Jesus, non-ignorable, in our spheres of influence, where people couldn't ignore the fact that there was something different about the work of God's grace in our lives. And this doesn't mean looking like uh, you're, you're completely righteous on your own and you always do the right thing. It means that you're humble and you're repentant and you know that your Father loves you even though you've all messed up. What if we lived a life that made the person of Jesus non-ignorable in our city, in our neighborhood, in our family, in our home? Jesus has called us to serve. I kind of just talked about that. Exaltation. We, we do all of this because we know that, that we too shall rise. So, so, so listen to Matthew 23, 12. This is, this is all over the Old Testament, all over the New Testament. I've just chosen one, one example of the scriptures using this phrase. This is all over the word though. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. This is what the world tells you to do. Go exalt yourself. Make a name for yourself. You've only got this much time. Make a name for yourself. You've got to make it happen. Jesus says, that's not my way. That's not the way of the kingdom. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. 
And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Just like Jesus, when you, when you bend down and you begin to wash feet, you begin, down, you, you begin to see people as needy in need of grace, and you begin to wash them, praying that God would redeem them and save them. God exalts us. And he exalts us higher than we could ever exalt ourselves. It's just unbelievable. It's, it's it, more than we could ask or imagine. God wants to do immeasurably more in our lives, the book of Ephesians says. More than you could ask or imagine. You, you cannot imagine how high God wants to exalt you. You cannot imagine how, how high Jesus is in fellowship with the Father. How, how, how much holiness exists within him. You can't imagine it. And on the same side of the things, you can't imagine how much sinfulness exists inside of you. And yet Jesus draws us to the Father, sits us at the table, and we, we live in perfect fellowship with the Father because of the work of Jesus. Someone ever served you this way before? Have you ever been served in such a way where the person of Jesus has become unbelievably tangible in your life and the Holy Spirit has gripped your heart and, and done a work in you? Have you ever been served that way? I can remember when I was 13. I was, I was busy. I was pretty good at exalting myself. I'm quite the pro at it. And, um, and God humbled me in a, in a lot of circumstances with my family, you know, divorce and, uh, you know, getting cut from a sports team that I kind of put all my hope in. And, and then God brought this man into my life, this young man that, that picked up the towel. And he, he saw, a broken, saw a broken young man. And, and he metaphorically began to wash my feet. He began to invite me into his life to incarnate the gospel among me. And then, and then he invited me into his family. And I, I began to see that, that there was this family of foot washers called the church. They didn't care how messed up my family was, that, that, my, that my, you know, parents were divorced and that I didn't have it all together and I'd only been to church like three times in my life. They didn't care about any of that. All they saw was an image bearer of God and hope of the grace of God coming into his life. And that's all they had. And they loved me. They picked up the towel and they washed my feet. And now I'm preaching to people every week, telling them about the love of Jesus. Just never know what God will do. Whenever you pick up the towel and you begin to incarnate into the lives of others around you. This is what Jesus did. This is the picture that he paints for us. So my question for you is this. Will you join in Jesus' mission of washing the feet of those around us? Let's pray together. Our Father, we mess up a lot. Father, the thing about this story, this scripture that we read today is that we are just like Peter. We are just like him. We laugh at him because we're just like him. Father, I pray this morning that you would give us, you would, you would help us hold two things in tension. Our sinfulness and your holiness. And when we hold those two things in tension, we see grace. And Father, would you help us to understand how we've been washed and our need to be washed by you and to be made new by the blood of Jesus. And then Father, would you give us the posture toward the world around us, that foot washing is the way of the people of the cross. That it is our work. No matter what we do for a living, no matter what neighborhood we live in, what school we go to, that we're foot washers. And we're foot washers because we've been washed by the blood of Jesus. So Father, would you help us to understand that? Would you help us to live that? And would you give us much grace? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.